They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. We open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. My guest today is Kamudi Koda, or KG. Kamudi is the founder of the Human Conversation, BIPOC member resource group leader at International Coach Federation Global, and a DI strategist at the European Women on Boards. As a people and cultural strategist, DI consultant, executive coach, trusted C-suite advisor, and lawyer, KG has helped transform organizations in APEC, EMEA, and North America. Kamudi has an MBA from the Indian School of Business, an LLM from the University of Virginia, and practiced as an attorney in the U.S. She is currently pursuing doctoral research at the intersection of public policy, people, and business. Kamudi is also an ICF-certified coach, a Newfield-certified ontological and performance coach, and a trained mediator. She has been featured, among others, in the Financial Times London, Channel News Asia, and in Times of India. She's an award-winning speaker and best-selling author, the mother of two who lives with her husband and kids in Amsterdam, where she moved to from Singapore quite recently. Our conversation on salt starts with a daily bike ride in Amsterdam and Kalmudi's very own journey towards doing diversity work and becoming a DEI expert. We speak about the importance of being comfortable with discomfort, the battles that are worth fighting for, and why safe spaces are a necessity. We also speak about the importance of listening and allies. And it becomes very clear from the beginning of our conversation that someone's journey towards becoming a DI worker always starts with someone's very own memory of an injustice. I hope you will enjoy this episode, Wonderful People. Welcome, Kamudi. Welcome to Salt, the podcast. I'm very happy that you are here with us today. Estella, I'm so delighted to be here. We finally are having this conversation. Yes, yes we are finally having it. And yes, so actually, let's start with you. Take us on a journey and tell us something about yourself, whatever you want to share with the audience. I have um, a, a really funny incident I want to share with you because you said it could be a funny uh, one as well. So I was cycling with my children today. And as I was uh, cycling, began on our onwards journey, I thought it was wonderful. The weather was lovely. My kids were with me. I was able to enjoy the beautiful, picturesque Netherlands uh, landscapes. And then after a point, we decided to turn back. And it was the same exact route, Stella. And I was finding it so hard. It was so, I was huffing and puffing and it was so slow. And I was like, what the heck? I didn't realize Netherlands was so windy. It's so difficult. And that's when I had an aha moment because, you know, when I was 
on my onwards journey, the winds were behind me, right? They were literal tailwinds and they were pushing me along. And because I had help, I thought I was a fabulous cyclist and I was enjoying my journey. And I thought, this is wonderful. And it was so helpful. I didn't even notice that I had that help. But on the return journey, I had headwinds, I had winds coming my way. Both times it was invisible, but this time I could feel that force holding me back, right? And that just made my journey so much harder that I was focusing so hard on pedaling. I couldn't notice the landscape. I couldn't notice my journey. I couldn't appreciate my time with the kids. And this for me is a thought, I thought it was a fabulous illustration of what privilege can feel like as well. When we have help, and we are enjoying an advantage, you never notice it, right? You just think you're phenomenal, you know, you're enjoying the journey. It's only when you face hardship and it's invisible, but you see the difference that you can suddenly not focus on anything else and it's exhausting, it's distracting. But I I thought that was wonderful. Um, uh, Perhaps a metaphor I couldn't use um, to help people uh, see the, the subtle difference but uh, something that's really heavy on people who are actually experiencing. Wow. Thank you for starting in a very different way than actually my other guests have started so far. And uh, also sharing something that actually is very much connected to our topic today, to our conversation, because you are a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging professional. And before we dive into what it means and, and the work that you do, I want to know why you decided to take this path in your life, of course, among all the other things that that you're doing that we uh, shared in the introduction. But what is your journey behind taking this path in your life? Uh, Thank you, Stella, for asking me this question. As you could tell, I'm I'm certainly very passionate about this topic. It's forefront of my mind. And the reason for that is... You know, I grew up uh, as a child of privilege, for sure. I'm able-bodied, I'm heterosexual. I belong to a family where I did not have insecurity or food, shelter, safety. I'm well-educated. But growing uh, growing up in India, which is really, they say it's a country of multiple centuries at once. There's so much diversity all around. And I couldn't help but notice that simple things like where you're born, into which family, what access um, you have, um, all of this is out of your control, but can have phenomenal impact on how you experience life. Um, you know, I remember my grandmother used to say she couldn't step out of her house because she was a widow. And people believed encountering a widow first thing in the morning would bring them bad luck. It's something as simple as her not being able to enjoy going about her morning the same way as everybody else for something she couldn't control. And and that's just, of course, a very small personal example. But in every way, gender, birth order, geography, class, education, even my ability to speak English well without a heavy accent speaks of my privilege. And so I was sensitized early on. And of course, as a brown woman uh, who has, you know, I, I haven't been back home in, in, in a couple of decades now. I, I lived in many different countries um, and I had experienced the realization that your location can physically change, but our human instinct to want to label and box people conveniently and jump to assumptions simply to make everyday life easier is instinctive and it's universal. And so 
I think that was always something that I had been sensitive to. But about 17 years in, into my career, um, I decided to make a shift. I was a trained lawyer and I was helping organizations, I was helping clients. But I decided to make a shift to take advocacy to the forefront of everything else I was doing because I truly believed that it's only when good people do nothing that injustice prevails. With all the privileges I have and the fact that I'm passionate about this subject, why not apply my skills and my passion to make a difference? What's holding me back? And once I connected that dot, I've never looked back. Um, I, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying every single project I'm doing right now because I, that's a red thread that's running through them. Thank you so much for sharing it. It, it reminds me also of my own feminist journey, my, my own journey with DEIB, that it, it starts very often with an emotion, with an observation that goes back to our childhood, right? Before we call ourselves a feminist or before we call ourselves an activist or before we call ourselves a DEI expert, whenever we have to share those journeys, it's always something that we saw. It's something that we felt. It's something that we perceived. And it's, it's yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing it how you started your journey. It's not that we wake up one day and we say, oh, now I'm a feminist or now I'm a <laughs> DI expert or now I'm an activist or all of these things together, you know? So thank you so much for sharing this with us so far, Kamudi. Just because um, not everybody uh, is familiar with DIB. And of course, we, we also believe that people should do their own research and educate themselves further. But we both agreed that it could be good um, to talk a little bit about What is diversity? What is inclusion? What is belonging? Without offering now a whole uh, analysis on, on those uh, terms, but as a, as a further introduction into our topic, as a further, yeah, going ahead in our conversation, can you share a little bit with us on this? Sure. Um, so it's, it's, you actually set the context very beautifully. There's tons of research. Wonderful scholars have spent their lifetimes developing these definitions. And we having this conversation right now is standing on the shoulders of giants. So certainly a quick Google search will yield a lot of very illustrative and useful information. Having said that, it's really useful to see it sort of like as a building of a bigger picture from a small one. Diversity is a fact of life. We're all different. Even if you and your sibling who grew up in the same home, with the same parents, with the exact same activities and engagements throughout your life, you will still notice that you're very different because each individual is completely unique. And that's a fact of life. Every single person is different. That's diversity. Now, inclusion is really recognizing that every single person deserves to feel whatever is unique about them is valuable, powerful, and they are going to have a really positive impact with whatever work they're choosing to do in whatever way they're choosing to interact. That is inclusion. Between diversity and inclusion, Stella, is the idea of equity. Equity is different from equality. Equality is all of us yeah. saying we're the same, but equity, equity relates to a little bit about the systemic injustice that can happen. And how to explain this would be that if I am a heterosexual female growing up in India, my identity of heterosexuality is not at the forefront of my mind all the time. I don't have to think about it all the time because it is the majority identity 
and all of the systems, institution of marriage, family, access to health insurance, employment benefits, all of these things, even social activity and engagements in India are normed around the identity of being heterosexual. That's why it's not something I have to worry about. Therefore, I don't think about it much. But what of someone who is perhaps not identifying as heterosexual? That's equity is ensuring every person, regardless of what identity they have, and we have multiple identities at the same time, always feels that the system is fair to them. They are not denied something that's normal to me simply because they don't have the same identity as me, because that's unfairness. And equity is fairness, ensuring everybody gets treated the way they prefer to be treated. There's a choice involved in it. And the system itself is fair to everybody. And inclusion happens when diverse individuals in our ecosystem are all having equitable access to the systems we operate in. If everyone is represented in our ecosystem, everyone's present, and all of them have equal fair access. They're treated the way they want to be treated. If someone wants a sabbatical, they can take a sabbatical. If someone wants to come to office every day, they can. If someone wants to work part-time, they can. That's equity. And belonging is created when everybody is present, diverse people. Systems are equitable. We're including everybody, making them feel like their uniqueness is welcome and positive. That's when everyone feels like I belong. This is mine. And I am going to work. 100% with full passion because I feel that sense of ownership and belonging because this is who I am too. So diversity, equity, inclusion leads to belonging. Thank you. Thank you for explaining it and sharing this knowledge with us. Um, You also know many things about um, algorithmic bias and how it perpetuates systemic bias. Can you share maybe first with us what is algorithmic bias and what do we mean with systemic bias and how these things are interconnected with each other? Yeah, absolutely. We live very much in uh, two existences at the same time. We have our real life interactions where you and I meet for coffee, can touch each other, right? We, I can physically see you. We Our interactions there. And then we have our online virtual interactions. And algorithmic bias is an acknowledgement of the fact that even the virtual world we human beings have built on the internet has all of the systemic biases and inequities that have crept in. In other words, our virtual world is mirroring the injustices and inequities and biases of our physical world. And how that shows up is a simple example. Now, if you try to Google for an excellent hotel with a great view today, Stella, automatically before you even ask for anything more, it will show you your local results. So our view of the world virtually is very limited to what the system has collected all the information about you, identified where you're located and gives you that perspective. Now, if I have primarily highly educated people who work in multinational corporations, all of my interactions virtually on my social media, the kind of things I read, the kind of thought leaders I follow, all of them give me a very blinkered view of the world. And I'm thinking that's how the rest of the world is. But of course, in fact, there's so much more to it beyond my little tiny bubble. And I don't know it. I'm just thinking the whole world is on my fingertips because of the internet. 
a, a wonderful example of this would be right now the reason why deep fakes uh you know deep fake videos of the ai generated deep fake videos that we have uh one of the reasons why you can still spot them is because you can quickly see if the hands are looking malformed it may have even been fixed by now stella by the time we're having this conversation because i'm no tech expert but you know why that happens is because the algorithms when they were being developed and fed all the data they focused a lot on the facial features of caucasian people uh one of the things they didn't focus is people of color because that's less data available right for the coders and also another and of course it trolls the internet right it scraps data from the internet the ai and so what's most available is faces of caucasian people faces of uh, non caucasian people not so good not so well done another thing is it didn't find as many images of hands human hands as it did of faces and so deep fake videos you can usually quickly tell when they attempt to have a fake video of a person of color or you see spot the hand you can tell immediately is an ai generated image and so you can see that this bias right it it exists everywhere we just replicating our biases so what do we need to do correct it the same kind of discipline and rigor we need in real life question ourselves have diversity around the table be committed to making the effort to make sure you have inclusion of all different types of input uh, rigorously test um, get feedback from diverse sources that's when you can stress test the system and make sure it's actually doing a good job of ensuring there's no systemic bias creeping this is an opportunity for us that this is still unformed fully which means it's an opportunity for us to get in at the ground level and make sure we build more inclusive spaces virtually where we don't have that opportunity now we are more corrected right in in a real world Yes, absolutely. I have so much to say with the things you've shared, and especially the last things that you shared. And I'm not sure if I if I should do or if I should do it right now. If we keep we keep talking, but go for it. Yes, it's yes, yes. It's hard. Let's do it. <laughs> There's just so much in my head that it, um, yeah. No, j- just things to add. Of course, for instance, while you were talking, what you say um, based on your research, based on your interest, the things that you see daily on the internet. when for instance george floyd happened i really had people saying i didn't know racism exist and i was like damn what are you like what have you just said like i i i had people saying this not in personal conversations like in 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 panels in in really public spaces that i thought how can you say that like where did you live all these years like how privileged are you that that you are saying i didn't know racism still exists I mean we're all conditioned to play along and to get along and be polite and particularly if you have um, any of the identities you hold give you less privilege in the room we're all accustomed to it's a survival mechanism that we suppress our identity and we play up the ones that do give us advantage this is human instinct you play up your advantage whatever works for you that's what you use more and so what happens is two things at the same time right what i don't know i continue not to know because i'm lost in my own advantage and i'm happily coasting along not realizing what's helping me and the people who are different from me also don't want to bring it up because why would i if something i feel something will make you think less of me stella i won't feel comfortable bringing it up 
I'd much rather focus on what makes us feel kinship. I feel safer in that. And so I'll play up what makes me alike to you. And I also won't pick that up. And it's a burden on me, right? I secretly think about it. And this is okay if everything's coming along fine. But when something breaks down is when your inability to see my discomfort will actually make me start feeling resentful. But is it also something that I should feel comfortable bringing up early as well? And I really want to address that aspect, uh, Stella, if, if you are you know, if you have the time for it, that we need to look at it from multiple angles in our interactions, you know, in terms of organizations, in terms of people, I think we really need to be comfortable with discomfort. Yes, Uh, there will be times when we feel very icky, uh, uncomfortable talking about something. And if we we prioritize comfort, we are never going to get better. We must be able to stay in the moment and say, wow, this is making me wildly uncomfortable. But you're saying something that's important. If I'm going to be still and listen, I'm going to ask questions with humility, right? You're trying to explain something to me. I should be appreciative of the fact that you're taking the time. You could very easily just cut me off and go on with your life and focus on something else. But you're taking the time to give me feedback. Right. So first and foremost, thank you for sharing something with me that I didn't know before. And be we should I should be humble about it. And I should open my mind. I may not immediately have a good reaction. And that's okay, right? We instinctively our knee-jerk reactions may be less than perfect. That's okay. But just to listen, really listen and say, let me think about it a little back with you. Can I come back to you, Stella? Can we talk about it later? Right? I can be humble, I can be open. And I can ask for some time to reflect and think through. And then when I have calmed down, perhaps when I'm calmer, I can come back to you and maybe have a more constructive conversation that enables me to open my mind. Otherwise, my blind spots remain my blind spots. I'm never better. That's one is when when I don't see something, my ability to be curious, humble and committed, even if I'm uncomfortable, that's important. And on the flip side, you know, I had a recent uh, incident where I had applied to an organization because I was very interested in studying something. And the person, I had just one conversation, that person right off the bat told me, no, you're not a fit. She wasn't able to explain why I'm not a fit. She wasn't able to explain what are the criteria they're looking for. I felt like I was talking to a stone wall hmm. and it was very frustrating And I had a choice then, Stella, as a person who had suffered because of someone else's unwilling to see me um, beyond whatever label they put on me. And I had a choice, right? I could either pick that battle and say, this is unfair. I've seen your data. You're very closed off. Why are you gatekeeping this knowledge? I could do that. Or I could go on with my life, find another way to learn the same thing. And that's the wisdom that I would want to share and encourage everybody with of any maybe disadvantaged identity to consider. You don't have to pick every battle. Do try and center your peace of mind, your well-being and your ability to thrive and survive as well. Many of us, and I know Stella, you're in the same exact boat. When we see something unjust in the world we have a natural instinct to say no I'm going to correct that 
but how many are you going to pick? That's why we have such a high rate of burnout and exhaustion and cynicism of people who care. Because when people care, they keep battling and battling. And there's so many things, every corner, every day, every moment. And so I think that was my biggest learning as I'm getting older is understand what's a battle worth picking and when perhaps you should prioritize your self-care and peace of mind and say, I see you. This is your constraint at this moment. You're not able to listen and engage in a conversation with me right now. I'm feeling that I'm banging my head against a stone wall, but it's okay. I don't need to deconstruct your stone wall. That's not my responsibility today. I can walk on, go on with my life and focus on something else that is perhaps useful to the way I use my efforts and skills and time. Uh, So that's one. Two is build a community of support around you, right? If I share something with you, Stella, if you are able to say, KJ, are you sure? You know, this this is how you're thinking about it, but did you consider this perspective? So I you're giving me a safe space where I can bring my dilemmas to you and you kindly, openly are helping me question my assumptions and test my theory. That's very powerful, having a community of support that encourages you, gives you a safe space, and builds you up. And the third one is. If your values are clear in your mind, you have a community of support where you can test your perspectives, you have chosen to pick up a battle, then go for it. Don't hesitate. The world history isn't made by people who get along and and play the game, right? (laughs) uh, History is made by people who rebel, who pick up difficult battles and who bravely go forth and do something the world didn't consider before. So, but these three things in the beginning are important so that you survive it, survive it. So survive your battle, don't burn out, don't become cynical. And those three things are prioritize your self-care, ask yourself, is this something I want to do? Second thing is have a community of support, a safe space where you can test your perspectives. And the third one is to make sure that you are clear about your values. Have those three things and then if you're sure about it, go for it. Speak up. And from the organization's perspective, I told you about in terms of doing something that's a blind spot for me, right? I'm an an advantaged person. I should be curious. I should be flexible and I should be willing to listen. On the other perspective, if I'm a disadvantaged person, prioritize safety, prioritize community of support, know your values, then make a decision about speaking up. In terms of organization, if you truly want diversity, then please make sure Once you bring that diversity in, you support them. It is infuriating when an organization advertises itself as an inclusive space and then you feel like a guest and you Mm -hmm. feel like an unwanted guest. And when you talk about it, you're gaslit or you're made to feel you're so unpleasant. Why is this your one topic on your mind all the time? Why do you bring it up all the time? Well, the person who's suffering the headwinds, right, that make them constantly struggle, it is on their mind all the time. You don't feel it because the system's advantaging you. So you have to, if you're an organization that cares, you have to be committed. Committed is the word I would ask organizations to really be sure about. Only say things that you're committed to follow through on. If it's inclusion, please, please 
be willing to listen to uncomfortable feedback and to do something about it. Nothing is more infuriating than being invited in and then being ignored. And then nothing happens. Then your ecosystem dies because people won't want to participate anymore. They're not going to give you feedback. As soon as they can, they leave. So those are the three perspectives that I think is really important to consider. A uh, person who's disadvantaged, person who's advantaged in the organization, because all three are coming together in most spaces that we know. Yes. And I want to acknowledge that, you know, there is no one person who's forever advantaged, one person who's forever disadvantaged. We have multiple identities. And so at one same single individual can be both at the same time. And some, some of us can also be big parts of the organization. Therefore, we can also be representing the organization. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing this. This is, yeah, great, great knowledge to share. Um, and also what is important to add here that people who are in privileged position, on the one hand, they don't know. But on the other hand, they also have the privilege to say, I don't need to know. Yes. And as you say, someone who has the the the, the wind coming their way all the time doesn't have this choice. Yes. Like by default, they are like activists, you know. Their daily life is a struggle all the time. And this is something that I also feel is very important to acknowledge when you are in a privileged position. You have a choice to not know. It's not that you don't know. It's also you choose not to know. We also have to emphasize this part. So just to add to what you said, you you explained everything really beautifully. Thank you so much for it. Yes. And um, you already mentioned, actually, uh, what organizations can do. It was very clear. But we also have to acknowledge that we we exist um, in a very volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environment. And the workplace is one of those environments. And what is your advice to individuals on how to navigate this Uh, VUCA, we call it, the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous workplace, while staying aligned to the values of, of DEI. What do you have to say to that? I think um, compassion is a word that really strongly comes up to me, Stella, in the within the field of diversity, equity, inclusion work, but also in terms of in general, I find that we've become very intolerant. And that is a fact of the fast pace with which we are hurtling down every day, right? We have so much to do. There's so much that's pulling attention that anything that causes an uh, unwelcome break in your pace that distracts you from whatever you need to accomplish. We tend to be irritant about, irritable about it. Uh, what is this? You know, this is inconvenient to me. And one of the ways in which I think it's become extra brittle is our expectation that people we admire, people we work with have to be perfect at all times. And this intolerance comes in where if you've made a mistake, I'm going to cancel you. The entirety of your work, all of who you are, has instantly become negative and there's a horde mentality because virtual uh, world especially tends to feel removed. You know, I mm. don't see the harm I'm causing to your day by calling you a vile name and canceling you on a professional forum simply because you held a view that irritated me, made me uncomfortable. And so I think that intolerance is something that we need to combat with compassion. First and foremost, it's very important is we're all evolving. 
who I am today is absolutely not who I was 20 years back as a sheltered, privileged kid growing up in a country. Since then, I've traveled so much and learned so much. If we don't constantly change and evolve, what's the use of our experience in living, right? That's the whole purpose of our lives is to learn and grow. And so when we make a mistake, all of what I said before, right? Humility, curiosity, flexibility, etc. But on the flip side, also, we have to hold space that you might be a, a powerful speaker, a phenomenal executive, a wonderful mentor and friend, and maybe completely blind to the impact you have on one colleague whose lack of privilege in something you don't see at all. And you're without realizing hurting or maybe you uh, you know are guilty of something you do not know or do not correct fast enough that's true of all of us and i really think compassion is very very important um that and combine that compassion and holding space for grayness the complexity of human humanity right human nature with how multiple layers exist at the same time you and I both know, as we work with it, you know, change management, you tweak one, one part of the problem, you may create a new problem or unbalance something else that's already been fixed. That's how complex everything is. And world is full of wicked and complex problems. So it takes yours and mine and everybody else's intelligence and skill set and hard work to come together and say, okay, there's 20 ways in which you can solve this. One to five ways pleases Stella, but makes KG unhappy. And anything we choose outside of 15 makes five other people unhappy in this room. So knowing and acknowledging it's complicated, multi-layered, and that we're at hurtling at breakneck speed, what is possible today? Let's account for the fact that it's not perfect and it could be better and maybe in different uh, priorities can be met by other choices as well. But collectively, can we agree on something? And hold the space for that now. If we don't do that, we're constantly going to be in loggerheads. We'll never agree. Stella is stuck on the, my solution is the best solution. KG is stuck on my solution, best solution. I hate Stella's solution. If Stella pushes it, I'm going to cancel her. It's not going to be possible for us to solve anything. Um, so compassion and the willingness to accept the complexity. Very important. Those two. Does that make sense to you, Stella? What do you think? Yes, it does. It does. It does. I actually thought about my own environment that I'm, I am I do some work in, in a certain organization and we were criticized for being activists. And for me, it was a compliment that I was called an activist. <laughs> I am an activist and I'm a feminist activist. So, But uh, it was used against us as, uh, uh, in a negative way. And the first thing that I thought is also what you mentioned, change happened because of activists. It happened because of people who went into the streets. It happened because of people who spoke up. It happened because of people who were killed. People who also had to use uh, violence who had to go into the street because of anger, because of, of so many things, you know. It didn't happen. Uh, it, how did you put it earlier? Good people do nothing, so the bad things prevail, right? Yeah. So for me, it was a compliment. And I decided, because I could have said, you know what, it, it doesn't make any sense to stay here. I'm, 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 t I'm like, you know, this is another thing with DI, right? You hit all the time a wall. Yes. Um, stay. But I stayed. Yeah. And now um, we have uh, people using the word activist uh, in, in that community. All we right. Have, uh, speakers being invited who are activists. So 
Yes, I'm, I'm happy that I didn't cancel them or I, I got hurt and offended and, and I left. So yeah, just, just to back up what you just said, because um, yes. And of course, you choose your battles, as you said earlier. It doesn't mean that everybody has to do it. If you feel like, okay, I'm hitting a wall here and I will keep hitting the wall, I'm out. But also not uh, in the first moment of despair or, or conflict to say, okay, that's it. I'm not dealing with you anymore. Because also, as you say, sometimes think, take, things take time also for... Um, people to realize and to confront their their discomfort and to embrace it. I deeply admire that quality. I think it is exhausting to do the work uh, you're doing if you are focused on uh, values and you're purpose-driven and perhaps you're trying to do something that is not easy, right? That's not going the way of the dominant uh, groups. Um, it's an uphill battle already. And mm-hmm. Given that context, your resilience and your commitment to stay the course and stay calm is extremely hard. Having personally experienced it, it's perhaps the the journey I'm still on in terms of learning that centeredness and groundedness and being able to stay when it's unpleasant and feels like there's no impact. I'd love to hear where you got that, um, you know, that ability to stay, uh, because that's so powerful. Anything you can help uh, share with people on how they can build that muscle of resilience would be powerful. Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, okay, I have to, I have to really think now. First, I mean, when, when I have to think about this specific example, and it's it's maybe also you mentioned it, um, it was not just me by myself. We are a group mm-hmm. and we are a group that we work together in, in, in DEI issues and we have the safe space. So we back each other up. We support each other. Um, we discuss things. We respect each other. And I think this is very powerful that we have this very strong bond um, that is not just me by myself doing the work, but I have four other people next to me doing this with me. So I think that is very important. And we have this safe space where we trust each other. But probably two other reasons um, why I have this first based on my own experiences of injustice, but also, for instance, when 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 we were called activists, I still consider myself very privileged, despite the injustices that I've experienced in my life, the racism, the sexism, I still, as as you also said about yourself, you still consider yourself from a quite privileged group, let's say. And having seen people really, really, really um, going through horrible things, uh, including people who are very, very close to me, um, I still feel like, okay, I have this privilege. And for me speaking up right now, at the end of the day, I won't it won't harm me as much as somebody else maybe who has to do this on a daily basis, who doesn't have a choice, you know? So it's this urge of, I have to say something because if not, I'm I'm guilty, you know, I, I will be part of perpetuating this injustice and I have the opportunity to speak up. I won't be killed. I won't be fired. I won't be whatever, you know? So I also see it as, as my obligation. Of course, it doesn't mean that there are not moments where for some reason I also freeze, you know, I mean, we all have this, not like, Oh, I'm perfect or something, but this is another reason why um, I, at least I strive towards doing that. Yeah. 
what your role modeling for me is particularly timely and powerful because we all have the ability now uh, to be mobile in our jobs and you know it's definitely speaks of the first world advantages but it also is true of a lot of the younger generations in the workforce um i expect certain things and if the organization or the space in which i'm operating does not give me those things i'm going to opt out but mm-hmm. some of the it is things in history were built or changed uh, through committed effort over a longer period of time and i think our ability to focus on long term vision or staying on the course true to purpose plodding away even on those awful days when you are so offended and you're so tired and cynical want to go away to stay and say i'm not going to give up on this organization i'm going to stay because i i believe this needs to be done that's what you've role modeled and that's the hardest thing to do and it's so important that we bring that habit back to our lives to stay right and and to keep working at it knowing that long term change needs daily effort even through the awful days yes 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 and there are actually two women that when i have these moments of despair they're they're both uh, women of color because i truly believe that all the wisdom we have comes from the from the bipoc community from the queer community we own so much to these two communities like we own so so many things to them and there are two uh, women that i have to think about them a lot you know because they didn't give up and they prevailed and also through them i i yeah it gives me so much strength you know just to to add to what you said yes yes kamuri thank you so much salt stella yeah they, they, these are two of my salt yes yes <laughs> for sure one of them is maya angelou and people who have been following my podcast they know it because i talk about her all the time or in many of my episodes so she's one of the the people that uh, really when i think about her i yeah she has been also a big part of my feminist journey for sure and about this thing of we are multiple things you know we are many things we are constantly evolving and yeah so yeah she's one of them yes definitely and yeah actually i have two more questions for you but because you mentioned the salt i'm going to ask you first about the salt and then i will ask you the other question who has been your salt kamudi Uh, and so my so i say one of the greatest sources of inspiration and support and empowerment um is my husband i've been married to him for 21 years this year and we grew up together but um what i learn a lot about him is he's very different from me stella he's very quiet um introverted person um in in and he's a corporate executive in in a world that um deifies extroverted assertive you know this machismo that is yeah. very valued and and praised in the corporate world he is um, a very analytical soft spoken person who's extremely collaborative and i haven't um, i can't add up the number of conversations i've had with him over the years about how difficult it is for men who choose not to be loud brash pushy aggressive all of these things that i expected the n- norm of any kind assumption of any kind uh, harms everybody 
in the equation. And uh, for sure, it's a, a, an Asian person who's quietly spoken, who thinks more than they speak, who prefers a consensus building collaborative approach. As you can imagine, that is not a usual profile. Um, and definitely it's been an uphill battle. But he, what I really admire is he's never questioned himself. He's very comfortable with his skin. This is who I am. And I see every day because, you know, through COVID, all of us have occupied same working spaces, right? Um, how much of a difference it makes when you have a leader who's able to make everybody around the table, the young intern, the new hire, the lady who's been around forever, the person who's coming from maybe a more obscure region uh, of the office uh, in a different part of the world. Everyone feels included and therefore every voice in the table is equally collaborative and contributing effectively. I see that beauty and I realize that comes from trusting yourself. I'm different from everybody else around me, but that's okay. I like me. I believe I have value in my uniqueness and sticking that course is not easy. Having, you know, I have encountered such things myself and our tendencies to tweak, to hide to wear masks, to play along, uh, to see if we need to evolve, especially women, we all talk about imposter syndrome and adapting more aggressive yeah. behaviors, right? Yeah. Every single identity in the world will face such uh, pushback and will question themselves, should I change? There's so much beauty in our diversity. Imagine every person feeling whatever is their unique style of working is valuable to the organization and brings that style to the table and leverages it. Think of what we could unlock collectively. And so, totally. Yeah. Uh, thank you. This is so nice to hear about your husband. Actually, two days ago, I recorded an episode about toxic masculinity. So um, we talked a lot about those behaviors that your husband does not uh, represent Yes. And also what you just said made me also think about children, right? When they're born, they just love themselves. They don't stand in front of the mirror and say, oh, my legs are very fat or, oh, I just was too loud or, and then the world messes us up, right? And we start. Absolutely. Yeah. Kids aren't taught to learn how to express their uh, anger, their uh, envy, their jealousy, their unhappiness, their sadness eat freely and yeah. so we all walk without ability to express ourselves in healthy ways and then we have unhealthy ways in which we develop, develop the you know mechanisms of expression right you're spot on so nice to hear about your husband thank you for sharing it my pleasure and my last question if you want to share with us a memory that yeah that you cannot forget because it had an impact on your life so staying on the theme of toxic masculinity, um, I have to say that having been focused for so long on underprivileged identities, uh, I have to say the greatest revelation has been just how powerful um, and how beautiful allies can be. I serve on the boards of a few different organizations. Um, and in, in one particular board, there was this pervasive uh, sexism, Stella, and I know this is a field that you know your expertise. And was a, every moment, every small little thing, and when you add it up, I had like so many examples that others were encountering as well. There had never been a female member of the board. The staff, uh, the the female staff member, was treated like crap. So much disrespect, so much of dismissal of her talents and hard work and all that stuff. 
And there was one person uh, who's, you know, such an ally. And what it made me really cherish and appreciate is, you know, an ally need not have a horse in the game. There was mm. nothing that was at stake for that person. That person just saw something unfair was happening. It had nothing to do with their identity. It didn't have anything to do with their advantage or disadvantage or their impact. They spotted something that was not right. They stepped up to the plate and they stepped up to the plate and stayed next to us and were allies even when it was really unpleasant, right? Because when you speak up in an organization that's systemically biased against women, it's it's not going to work well when you speak no. up. Yeah, so there was a lot of pushback, a lot of name callings, uh, a lot of, you know, we're going to oust you, all kinds of drama. And that person just stayed steady. And I really appreciate that. I think allies uh, can be superpowers. It's particularly powerful when they have no reason to, because it's that good person doing nothing thing, right? It's a lot easier to stay quiet and, and stay out of the warfare because all of us have some battle we are fighting, Stella. Taking a battle up on somebody else's behalf when you already have a dozen battles of your own is the hardest thing to ask of anybody. And when people do that because they believe in certain values and they step up is really, really powerful. And it made me realize how much more we can all do. I vowed to myself that I'm not going to be nervous or hesitant. If I spot something, even if it's not my battle, Right? This is not my jam. This is not uh, my lane. Right, mm. The stay in your lane mentality. This is not my expertise. Don't get into it. But that person taught me just how life-changing it can be when you're drowning and somebody steps up to help you, even if there's no reason for them to get involved. It can be a game changer. So allies, allies for the win. That was my memory to share. <laughs> and also sometimes when, when this happens, right? Like, let's say if someone steps up for you or, or supports you at first, you're like, what's going on now? Like nice. you're first like, yeah, really? are you for real? Did you just say this? <laughs> what yeah. happened? Yeah. Yeah. And staying the course, you know, staying however nasty it gets, however bitter it gets. This is not right. Standing up for what is right is really hard to do. It gets harder and harder when you start getting pushback and brickbats and your reputation's question. It's so easy to do that. It often gets unpleasant when you pick up battle. Um, so, yes. yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed uh, speaking to you. It was a really good flow in our conversation. So now we come to you asking me a question. What is your question uh, for me today? Stella, I am just absolutely fascinated by how much is unfolding before our very eyes. We're living in such complex um, and illuminating times in terms of gender identity. Uh, there's been so many waves of feminism. You're the expert. Um, given all that you know and the years of expertise you have, uh, what is your advice to individuals and organizations uh, on how they can be more supportive uh, given the current uh, conversation about gender identity and its evolution. Thank you um, for asking this question. Um, I feel many of the things we said today can be taken to answer this question. 
one of the things that for me is very important, and I have this, I think maybe I was born with it. I don't know. Listen. Listen to what people have to say. Be a good listener. And not just for the sake of listening, but be capable of, of hearing what the person wants to tell you, you know, like truly listen. It's not just I'm listening to your words. Be capable of, of hearing the other person. This to me is very, very important. Don't dismiss people. Don't ridicule people, especially uh, when it comes to gender identities. I feel like there are so many stupid comments being made. There's so much sexism, racism, discrimination, making fun of people, irony, sarcasm, dismissing them. When it comes, for instance, to the non-binary community, people react in really, really horrible ways um, when it comes to the trans community. Um, and for me, the first thing is listen. Just listen. And the other thing also is educate yourself. Read about it. Don't expect people to be your dictionaries, you know. It's it's about, does somebody want to talk about it? Yes. Do they not want to talk about it? It's fine. Because we are so many different things. I'm not just one thing. I'm not just my gender identity. I'm so I'm so many things, right? So don't also just reduce me to this one thing. And that's also when we come to the to the aspect of belonging. It's so important that people feel they belong. What does it mean to belong? To be loved for who I am. And what do we all want? We want to be loved, right? And yeah. you don't want to be constantly asked about Oh, so you, you are from India. Um, so uh, is everybody poor in India? So let's talk about India. Like you, you don't want to like you are Kalmudi and Kalmudi means many, 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 many things. You know, you don't want to be only uh, be reduced to India and the stereotype of India, you know. Um, so I think it's really important that we listen, that um, we we are curious, we are compassionate, we read, we educate ourselves. Um, not to make fun of people. This is so hurtful. This is so violent, you know, when someone reacts towards you with irony. Um, for instance, if, if I look at my friends who are non-binary, I've learned so much from them and not by asking them like kind of stupid stereotypical questions, just by being with them, just by having conversations on all kinds of topics. And I have received so much beauty from it, you know. So, yeah, this is actually what I can say here. Um, yeah, to answer your question. Thank you. I, I love that. And and I know that you said that you also share some resources. So if there are any uh, resources for uh, people to read up or good uh, places to uh, inform themselves, uh, please uh, do share. I'd love to for sure. I'd love to learn more as well. Yes, yes. And, and also this is important, right? We We constantly learn. Like we don't know everything. Yeah. We constantly learn. And um, I had an episode actually with one of my um, friends, comrades, fellow feminists who um, who is non-binary. It's, it's, they are on a journey, let's say. Uh, we, we did two podcast episodes together. 
and it's called A Night in Venado Tuerto. And uh, this is an episode that I loved so much and I really recommend listening to it um, if people are interested. And um, I definitely will. Yeah. Thank you, Kamudi. Thank you for this beautiful conversation. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. If uh, you enjoyed the episode, please share it in your community, on your socials. If you want to connect with Kalmudi, I know you can find her on LinkedIn. Um, You have a website. And um, I know that you are happy to hear from people. (laughs) And uh, yes, thank you so much for this nice talk. I loved it. I'm going away with my head buzzing with so many, so many different ideas. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Salieri and this is Salt the Podcast.